Happy end of Mercury Retrograde. I am your host, Naomi, and this is Mosaic in Progress. So what is Mosaic in Progress? Fittingly, the definition or categorization is somewhat in progress. This is a podcast where it all comes together while I tell my story. For around a decade now, people have been telling or asking me to write more and share my story, but my story doesn't have much reason to be told in isolation. So I hope to give hope and inspiration through this podcast by retelling and relating my experiences and giving application to everyday events. We're going to talk about witchcraft, religious trauma, childhood trauma, medicine and nursing, health, holistic health, philosophy, history, women's health issues, and more. I hope to tie it all together into a cohesive structure by showing how everything is connected. So to start off, let me tell you a little about me. I come from a family of three girls Uh, My mother homeschooled me and my two sisters. I was the middle child. Uh, That should explain a lot up front. (laughs) We were all homeschooled. Um, My dad was a preacher in the Church of Christ up until I was about seven or eight, I think. And at that point, we started worshiping at home. My dad was a little bit of a religious zealot, if I can put it quite frankly, uh, and had decided that there were no congregations in the area or anywhere that he could find that really truly wanted to follow the Bible. So he led our services and my mother and my sisters and I would have Sunday worship in our home with him. Um, There were a few times we had some other families or individuals join us, but for the most part, um, it was pretty isolated. It was just us. Um, Grew up in the height of purity culture, and my parents very much bought into everything that was purity culture. If you're not familiar with purity culture, good for you. You had a better childhood than me, probably. Uh, purity culture is a offshoot philosophy from the fundamentalist church, fundamentalist evangelical church, that uh, came from a lot of books that were written in the 80s and 90s especially, um, most notably a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And basically, purity culture says that if you have sex outside of marriage, that you make yourself worthless. And so to avoid that, there are certain things that you need to do. Most of purity culture is directed at girls and women, how we dress, how we act, etc. I remember sitting in teen classes at different camps, Bible camps that we went to, telling us how to make sure that we didn't sit in a way that might be perceived as suggestive because you didn't want to cause your brothers to stumble, your brothers being any uh, Christian boys who were around you. Um, You didn't want to be perceived as easy or anything like that. And it was this whole 
just philosophy and um, mentality of keeping yourself from appearing uh, sexual in any way. Um, that sexuality was just demonized in every single way and to have any appearance of it, even just attractiveness, really, um, was, uh, was presented as wrong and evil and sinful. And so as girls, we were taught that, you know, we needed to basically, um, just be dowdy and, um, covered up and, quiet and meek and not draw attention to ourselves in any way and from that point you know whenever we eventually got married as we were all you know told we were supposed to do then we were supposed to go from that to knowing how to fulfill our husband's sexual needs um, entirely and that was our entire goal and mission in life um it was a very uh, depressing mentality to grow up in, um, especially the older I got, because having this idea that your only purpose in life is to get married and have children and then being single, it, uh, it wore a lot on my sense of self and my ability to just show up in the world feeling worthy of being there. I felt like I had no purpose in life and my parents very much discouraged me and my sisters from going to college, from working outside the home, from having a career. Um, when I did eventually decide to go to nursing school, they were just absolutely devastated. Um, they told me that I could not be a nurse, that I didn't, uh, I didn't have what it took to be a nurse. It was a terrible idea. I convinced them because I was financially dependent on them and had no means to get out of their house. Um, but I convinced them to let me go to CNA school. And from there, I got a job in a hospital working as a patient care tech and worked my way through nursing school despite their objections. And as soon as I graduated, I moved out. Uh, I went to nursing school literally so I could escape the abusive, uh, the abusive environment that I grew up in. And, you know, I've, I've touched on the religious abuse that happened with the purity culture and everything like that. But... I cannot overstate the violence that I endured as a child and not just me, my sisters and having to watch my mother also endure violence or even honestly my father enduring violence from her. It was an unsafe home and I kind of grew up with this feeling that there was no safety ever anywhere, that no people were safe, no place was safe. I kind of grew up without an idea of what home really was. And in adulthood, after finally getting out, um, 
it uh, it became almost a mission for me trying to find the place or the mentality where I did feel safe. And it is an ongoing journey. There have been glimpses of it and pieces of it and people who carried it to me. Um, but it continues to be a quest uh, that I think is a worthy one and I'm not willing to give up on. Um, I don't know that there ever truly is complete safety, but I think you can find that piece where you can take your armor off sometimes. And that, to me, is what home is. And I continue to strive to find it and create it every day because I think more than anything, you create your home rather than find it. Uh, prior to going to nursing school, I spent a brief time working in politics and ended up with an associate's degree in political science. My original intent was to get a bachelor's degree in political science, but working in politics and as a paralegal while I was pursuing my degree, I realized that I really did not want to work in politics, that it was absolutely not anything what I wanted to pursue in my life, what I wanted it to be, um, or a worthwhile use of my time and energy and not hating on anyone who does work in politics or law but I realized that I could not make the difference working there that I originally thought that I could uh, so I worked as a waitress for a year at a cafe that uh, did not give any base pay so I just worked for tips I really enjoyed my time doing that um Honestly, one of the best jobs I ever had. I had really great management and really great customers. And it was a, a nice time to just make some money and figure myself out. And from there, I went to CNA school and then to nursing school. My background, I you can probably tell somewhat from my accent, I grew up in the South, in the Bible Belt, uh, in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and like most people who grew up here, I have quite the uh, combination of ancestry. Um, most of the people who grew up here have some Cherokee ancestry, and I am not an exception to that. Uh, Scottish, Irish, um, and some Cajun and French ancestry as well. Um, one of the things that has become important to me as I have broken away from my uh, family of origin is finding my roots in my ancestry as well as creating my family of choice uh, and I think both of those things are important um, to know where you come from and to create where you're going uh, anyone who has been through a terrible childhood or traumatic experience I think finds comfort in both of those things 
both in knowing where you came from and in creating the path where you're going as far as your social connections and familial connections. Um, my practice as a witch is very much informed by my ancestry and heritage in that regard. To my knowledge, there are no witches in my ancestry, but I'm still delving into it and looking into who I came from, and so there might be. I, uh, I'm still searching and finding, finding names and roots and traces and things such as that. Um, I have a lot that is unknown, um, a lot that, um, I'm still searching for. I have a lot of veterans in my family, which shaped a lot of my politics early on. Um, not as much today, but it does continue to shape my view of the world, um, particularly in my practice as a nurse, which is where I work, uh, how I make my living. Um, I have seen so much in my family and friends, uh, veterans being ignored, um, by the VA, by the government as far as their health issues and continues to be kind of an area that I'm very passionate about as far as taking care of their, uh, taking care of their health needs, um, in their, in their declining years. Um, one of the biggest things that I will talk about in this podcast, um, as far as tying things in is trauma. Um, trauma shapes who we are. I worked uh, on the trauma floor and in the ER a lot in my career. Uh, and one of the things that always stood out to me as I was working with patients who had been in car wrecks or shot or fallen is that trauma in the physical body manifests exactly the same as it does in the emotional body. It heals the same. It wounds the same. The after effects are the same. You know, you can have a trauma that is minor and for a while it hurts. And before you know it, you might not even remember that it happened. It heals so well and so quickly. It's just kind of a blip on your radar that you, you don't remember. It doesn't affect you as much. But then there are traumas, there are major traumas that might almost kill you. And they take a very long time to heal from. And sometimes you're never the same after that. You're too scarred. You're too injured. There's some things that can't be fixed. And dealing with all of the trauma that I had in my childhood and the sexual trauma that I had multiple times in adulthood and even trauma just from friends who weren't friends and bad relationships and 
medical trauma from having endometriosis undiagnosed for so long and PCOS undiagnosed for so long. And then the trauma of working in the ER, ICU, and rapid response during the height of the COVID pandemic, it has been a lot repeated. And some of it hurts more than others, and some of it is healed, and some of it isn't. But one of the things that I have learned in my career is that the longer that you ignore a trauma, the harder it is to heal. And that applies to emotional and physical trauma. I've seen people come in days later after a fracture or a severe open wound and it the wound might be infected or you can't set the bone right or there's, you know, blood clots forming and there's a lot of complications that happen when you don't address a trauma immediately. And I think that is true of emotional trauma just as much as it is physical trauma. And this is part of where I get into how everything is connected. The body heals the way the mind heals and the mind heals the way the body heals. And the more that we can learn about ourselves and either just individually our own personal selves or our ourselves as humans in general, I think we can really learn how to help ourselves and others better by knowing ourselves and everyone has trauma some people have a lot more than others and some people's trauma is barely a blip but everyone has trauma everyone has things that they deal with their own personal struggles their own you know whether it's mental illness or just you know, insecurities or whatever. Everyone has things that they deal with and struggle with that hold them back. And the more compassionate you can be with yourself, the more compassionate you can be with others. And the more understanding you can be of yourself, the more understanding you can be of others. And this, to me, is the point. Because without love... What are we even doing? What's the point of anything? I think it all comes down to love. And so the more that you can love yourself, the more you can love others. And the more you can love others, the more love you can receive back. And the more love you're giving and receiving, the more love is put out into the world. And this is how our world heals. I don't know of any person who thinks that our world is good right now doesn't matter what your politics are or your religious beliefs or anything else. There are very few people who you can talk to right now. None that I know or have ever encountered and ask, what do you think of the state of the world? And they'll tell you it's good because it's not. We're all hurting and very few of us are healing. And the answer to all of it is love. One of the biggest things that led me to become a nurse in the first place was that I wanted to help people. And 
having dealt with a whole lot of health problems as a child, um, it, it kind of came naturally to me to lean towards the medical industry. I had asthma as a child. I had a lot of somatic illnesses as a child, a lot of issues with my, uh, my stomach, my GI tract, you know, when you're a kid, it's tummy troubles. Um, and all of this, honestly, I can relate back to the traumatic nature of my home and the violence and just instability and insecurity that I had to endure. Um, most children manifest anxiety and stress as a somatic complaint. And for that matter, many adults do as well. We just push through it. You know, most kids that have random tummy trouble, um, or not random related to certain events, uh, it has to do with stress. And that's how stress manifests in their bodies. And it certainly was how it manifested in mine. Um, I look back and I see the problems that I had with asthma and I have some problems with it still as an adult, but it pretty much just went away and quit being a problem when I moved out of my parents' house. Um, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. Uh, I was in my late twenties when I moved out, but I think that I was so stifled I felt like I couldn't breathe, and that presented itself in my body as asthma. Um, it It is a reactive airway condition, and uh, it was something that caused me a lot of problems and held me back a lot uh, as a child in my teens and even into adulthood. Um it became something that changed uh, my career path. I had originally, when I first went to college, wanted to go into agribusiness. I was raised on a farm, and I really enjoyed raising pigs. Uh, seems very weird to say that now, looking back, because my life has taken such a different turn. Um but it was something that I really wanted to pursue, and because my asthma was so bad, I decided to pursue a different path, and I went into political science. Um, I don't regret it. I think that I ended up where I needed to be, but it was definitely something that shaped where I ended up. On that note, as I had so many somatic illnesses, I was nine years old when I was diagnosed with anxiety attacks, as they called it then, panic attacks is the more common terminology now. Um, I think my records show generalized anxiety disorder with panic attacks at nine years old, and... Um, it was it was a really big struggle for me to push through that because I was unmedicated for it and I received absolutely no help with dealing with it. When my pediatrician diagnosed me with it, he suggested I go to counseling. 
And my dad told him that he had friends who could help me with it. And he did not have friends. Uh, there was, there was no counseling that happened. Um, the physical abuse just increased, um, and he would beat me or yell at me whenever I had a panic attack. Um, and we went to another pediatrician after that. That was the last time that we went to him. Um, I started developing signs of depression in my early teens. Um, was eventually diagnosed with bipolar in my early 20s, uh, right before I started nursing school. Um, obviously PTSD and CPTSD from all of the trauma. And in my late 20s, after all of those diagnoses, when I finally was seeing a psychiatrist and getting medication, I was diagnosed with ADHD, uh, which those symptoms had been going on since probably about the time that I was five years old in my memory. Um, it was definitely uh, something that I struggled with my whole life, and the more that I've learned about it, the more I wonder why no one could see that, why no one, uh, why no one diagnosed me with that. But, you know, my childhood was in the 90s. It was a different time. And, uh, there was a much bigger stigma attached to it than there is now. Not that there's no stigma now, but, uh, during that time, the majority opinion was that ADHD was just an excuse for kids who couldn't behave. Uh, and so I dealt with all of those things really without any help. Um, and I, I threw myself into art. I threw myself into books. I threw myself into music. I threw myself into work, whatever I could find to escape. I pursued. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why mosaics became such a icon, really, for me. Uh, I remember learning about them in school when I was in late elementary, early middle school. I don't remember exactly um, around that time, but I remember just thinking how beautiful they were and how amazing it was that you could just make something so beautiful from brokenness. And it stuck with me, just that idea. It was always something that I found both beautiful and fascinating. And in adulthood, after one of my several sexual traumas that I endured, I started thinking of myself as that, that I was a mosaic. I had been broken and I was making myself whole again by putting myself back together in the way that I wanted with a stronger base. Because that's the thing about mosaics. They are not fragile like whatever they were before. 
they're so much stronger. And that was how I began to think of myself as a mosaic. And the longer I went on, the more it was like, well, it's, you know, it's not done yet. I'm still making myself. I'm still putting myself back together, but that's okay. It is absolutely normal and acceptable and okay to keep working on yourself, to keep allowing yourself to evolve and become and blossom. And that is kind of the idea that I've held on to about myself is that I am this work of art that I'm creating and creating is an active verb. It's not something that's finished and maybe one day I'll be finished before I die and maybe that's the whole point. Maybe you just create yourself up until the end. But that is where the idea of a mosaic in progress came from. And I think, I think mosaics are a practical art. You know, you go from something fragile to something strong. You go from something that's broken and would normally be trashed to something that you can use either as a vessel or as a decoration or whatever you want it to be. Um, and I think it's a natural state of recovery from brokenness. You know, when you have a trauma, whether it's physical or emotional, you have to piece yourself back together. And that takes time. Um, and a mosaic follows that same pattern of taking the time to take the broken pieces and put them back together. And I think that that is a useful state of mind. And I have come to believe that your mentality needs to be useful. Your belief system needs to be useful. And I borrowed that somewhat from Aiden Watcher in his writings and if you have not read his books, then I recommend that you do so because they're very well written and very practical and useful books. But he talks a lot about having this useful idea or a useful belief or saying that a belief is useful to him. And I think that that is what makes the most sense. Your beliefs need to be useful to your life. Your ideology needs to be useful to your life because why hold on to something that doesn't serve you, including a belief system? So I think that moving from that into looking at wholeness is a natural progression because once you take the broken pieces and start putting them together, your point is to make something that is whole again. And in thinking of that idea of wholeness, we 
very naturally come into thinking about holistic things and the wholeness of our lives and the interconnectedness of everything because we are a society that likes categories and likes segregation and we like to have our you know planners with everything categorized and planned out and our organization systems where we can find everything easily and nothing wrong with organization or categorizing things but there are some things that don't just fit into one category or maybe you can't find a category for them at all and as much as I love organization and as much joy as it brings me to have a place for everything I think it's important to keep in mind that everything flows together in one way or another you know everything is energy and energy is neither created nor destroyed everything is made up of energy and all energy flows together it's important to remember that as much as we like our categories things flow together physical health and emotional health play off of each other one back to the other and spiritual health plays into emotional or mental health which of course is also going to impact your physical health and I started really focusing on this idea of how everything flows together uh, early in my career uh, before I was even a nurse yet when I was still a CNA and my primary care doctor who I was seeing at the time uh had an interview on the local news station and she was talking about how your life is a pie and she was talking about the time that you had in the week and how you had to you know sort of make sure you're dividing up your pie evenly well you know you had your your health and your social life and your job and education and all these different pieces of the pie that make up your life and how you divide your time between your slices of pie. And it was a really good model and way of thinking. But at the same time, I thought, it's still all one pie. It all connects with each other. It's all one thing. And I think that that applies to so many things, not just your life and the time that you spend and I started this idea at the time I wanted to write a book of just focusing on how everything plays off of each other and how everything flows together in your life and keeping that mentality and keeping that uh that idea at the forefront of your mind whenever you're making plans, whenever you're, um, whenever you're structuring your life around whatever to remind yourself it's not just this one thing. This thing affects everything else too. 
And I think we have a really hard time with that in our society. We have this idea of a work-life balance. Why are we having a work-life balance? Work is supposed to be just the thing that we do to make the money so that we can live the rest of our lives. If you're lucky enough to do something that you're passionate about, then maybe it's not so draining and not pulling so much away from your real life. But work shouldn't be the thing that you're trying to balance with your life. Work should be fitting in there somehow so that you can live the rest of your life. And I think, I think our society, the way that our economy is set up, we've structured it so that people's work pull so much of them away from their real life, their family, the things that they want to do. And we no longer have, you know, people going off for a short period of the week uh, to make the money so that they can live the life that they want to live. It's our entire lives are structured around work and that gives us so little time for creating. It gives us so little time for art. It gives us so little time for love. And this is one of the main reasons why we are so imbalanced as a society. Why we're so unhappy. Why there's so much depression and anxiety. Because we're not living our lives as we were created to live them you know as humans we're we're created to pursue joy that is the natural instinct of our minds and bodies is to pursue pleasure and we've demonized that we've demonized pleasure we've demonized the pursuit of it as you know somehow irresponsible or uh, an immature way of thinking, but if your life is not bringing you joy, what even is the point? And I think that we need to get back to finding wholeness, to finding balance, to finding peace and pleasure. And a big part of that is recognizing that we're not there. I've always said that you can go anywhere that you want to go, but you can't get there if you don't acknowledge where you're at first. You can't follow a map if you say you're at point B when you're really at point A. You'll never get where you're supposed to go or where you're wanting to go. And so I think it's important that we acknowledge that we as a society have really messed up our priorities. We have messed up how we view ourselves and our lives and what we're what we're doing with our time and what is an acceptable thing to do with our time um and seeing that that everything is connected you know even looking in nature the environment the ecology biodiversity you can see the interconnectedness of everything you know there's been so many things lately different 
studies and news articles and stories coming out about the bee population and the butterfly population dying down. Well, why are they dying down? Pesticides are a big part of it, but another big part of it is that we want perfectly manicured lawns that are green and even and homogenous with no no flowers um, except these very specific ones that we plant that are not native, you know, to the area. And we have created an environment that is inhospitable to pollinators and we wonder why they're dying and when the pollinators die vegetation dies that's what keeps it going and when vegetation dies we don't have food and that sounds very dramatic and it is but I think it's very easy to fix we just have to change how we're how we think of our land and what its use is but that's you know that's one example of how everything becomes connected um everything is connected uh and you know you see this in the economy and jobs you know people like to say well this kind of job is uh what do they call it a uh an easier job, a, a one that doesn't require as much of someone, and so it should be paid less. And I am very much in support of paying people what they're worth and in recognizing a harder job or um, more investment into getting a certain type of job. However, by that same token, if we don't have janitors then who's going to clean? And if we don't pay our janitors a living wage, then they're going to pursue other jobs. And I see this so much in healthcare with the different levels of income um, with different jobs. And, you know, if... Like I bring up the janitors, if we don't have our EVS staff, our environmental services, uh, then it falls on the techs and the nurses and everyone else to do that job, which means they don't have as much time to take care of the patients hands on. Um, and it's it's the same with every every job, you know, if there's not people working in the cafeteria, well, then somebody else has to pick up the slack and do it. And to minimize one job over or under another because you think it's an easier job is a disservice to the job. It's a disservice to the person working it. And it's a disservice to everyone who works around that job who's affected by it because we all need each other and whether you think a job is easy or not and whether it is easy or not we all need each other and we all have a role we all have a purpose and we all work together for the same goal ultimately and I think keeping that in mind is so important to 
to your relationships, to the people who you work around, whether it's, you know, your, your co-workers or just your family or people who you pass, you know, in the store, at a restaurant or whatever, um, your life is all connected. Everything that you do is all connected because it's all your life. And everything that's in your life is connected to the lives of the people who you touch. It's all energy. It's all connected. And I think the more that we can keep that in mind, the better off we will all be. And the more we can start changing our world to be something better for ourselves, for the people around us, for future generations. But it all starts with the recognition that it's all connected. I hope this has been somewhat of a good introductory episode to give you an overview of the types of topics that I'm covering. Um, this is just a more of an introduction and overview and I hope to get more into specifics in later episodes with um, focusing on uh, specific things related to health and mental illness and trauma and witchcraft and etc. Um, but this is the best I can do in an introduction for something that is uh, a very broad uh, and far-reaching topic. But I think that it will it will come together in a way that will be cohesive and useful um, as we go on. If you're listening to this, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to listen to my first episode. Uh, this is something that has been a dream of mine for a while. Um, didn't really feel possible. Um, I have to give a huge shout out to my husband, Sean, for encouraging me to do this and for supporting me in pursuing my dreams. Uh, may have him on an episode later uh, to talk about occultism or music or something such as that. Um if you would like to request a specific topic, feel free. Uh, the email is mosaicinprogress at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I think that's, I think those are the only two, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Mosaic in Progress on both of those. I will have a YouTube channel up soon. Uh don't have an exact date on that. Um, but hopefully maybe some of these 
podcast will also be uh, put on there as videos, um, maybe doing some additional videos, um, just shorter subjects. Um, I think that about wraps it up for our first episode. Uh, I planned for this to be about an hour. I didn't quite make it. Um, but I'll give you back the 11 minutes. Uh, and hopefully you find something wonderful to do with those today. To love yourself and those around you. And I hope you will join me for the next episode. And continue to work with me on our mosaic in progress.